The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Submissive servant to your executioners, in fact. To make a way, to make your way back. Thank you. And Spirit of God, then we say thank you to you. The Father willed and the Son carried out and then you have applied to us this way. We would be blind if you had not opened our eyes. We would be dead if you had not brought life to us. You are the ray shining into the dungeon that sets us free. Thank you. Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life by the will of God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are just creatures grateful. We give you thanks for that. And we ask more of you because you are a God who gives. We ask more of you this morning that you would now open our eyes to these things we know and maybe to things that we don't know yet. Maybe to things we have forgotten, once knew but have overlooked. Open our eyes here this morning and draw us into a walk that is full of thanksgiving and full of life and full of joy. Make the word clear here this morning. Make my words clear. Keep me from from stumbling and from confusion and from error and keep our hearing from distraction and distortion and and misunderstanding because what we're praying really above all of our speaking and listening is we're praying for you to communicate, for you, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, to speak to us, your people, and maybe even if there are some here who, who you want to speak to some particular application for some particular situation, Lord, this truth will generally speak to all of us, but maybe there's something in particular for someone. Speak that. Lord, draw us on to you. Give us life. For Christ's glory and for our good, we pray. Amen. holidays are upon us with Thanksgiving being celebrated in about a week and a half as well as right after the service today with our congregational lunch. As was mentioned earlier, you're all invited. Please stay. But given that, I thought it'd be a good time to explore something from our passage last week that I didn't say very much about. The mention of the word Thanksgiving. If for no other reason, talking about Thanksgiving today would, would fit with our calendar. But there's also more reason to talk about Thanksgiving than just the calendar. It's because it's honoring to God and good for us. Good to us. David Gibson, in his recent book, Living Life Backwards, makes a very simple and unexpected statement. It's unexpected because of the context. Living Life Backwards is a book that he wrote about the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes which, Gibson points out, is trying very hard to make all of us live life 
in light of our certain soon-coming deaths. Death. It's coming to us all. Wise people and foolish people, rich and famous, as well as poor and unknown, skilled and powerful people and incompetent and weak people, we all alike are together racing towards the grave. See that and get that. And then from that point, live life backwards from your death in light of it. That's Ecclesiastes. That's Gibson's main point in the book. You can hear it in the title. And that's the context in which he unexpectedly says this. The thing to aim at in life is joy. From a book where seemingly on every other page he says, you're going to die, your kids are going to die, your parents are going to die, your friends are going to die, so while you have life, the thing to aim at in life is joy. That seems a bit schizophrenic. At least a little bit odd. And it, and it is. It is sort of odd. It is sort of, of discombobulating. And, and the whole book, frankly, the whole book, Living Life Backwards, I highly recommend it. Get yourself a good Christmas book about Ecclesiastes and read it. And it's really good. Plug for the book. For the first time in my life, I read a book and immediately started over to read it a second time through. First time I've ever done that. Highly recommend Living Life Backwards. But what does any of that have to do with Thanksgiving? The thing to aim at in life is joy. Don't we all want joy? And he's saying we should want joy. God made us to want joy. He, he made us that way and calls us to it, wants that for us. The thing to aim at in life is joy. And to summarize large part of his argument picture this the headwaters of the river of joy bubble out of the springs that we call thankfulness and gratefulness so thankfulness and gratefulness what bubbles out of those springs lead to joy we often think I can't have joy while I think about death And, and he argues in a complicated way, read the book. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you should. And the way to get there is thankfulness and gratefulness, thankfulness and gratefulness. They are, the, they are the stones on the path, if you want to change the image, that we walk to joy. Their stones are thankfulness and gratefulness and thankfulness and gratefulness. We can and should walk that in life while we have life. And that leads to joy. We want that, so I'm going to talk about that this morning, approaching it through thankfulness and gratefulness, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which is the act of giving thanks, thankfulness, which is the attitude behind the act. I'm going to use them kind of interchangeably this morning. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at it starting in the book of Colossians, though this is really a topical sermon about thanksgiving, but thanksgiving is in every chapter in Colossians, you may recall. It's in all four chapters. So I'm going to approach it first by looking at the verses that we discussed last week. 
then I'll pick up the other ones throughout the book. But really, we're working on thanksgiving through Colossians to help us aim for joy. So let me read the passages in Colossians, starting in 4.2, and then I'll skip around to read the other ones. This is chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Chapter 1, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's all over Colossians, but as I said, we're going to start at the end. Here's the first point, broad to kind of get us into the topic. Thankfulness to God for his amazing grace is the path to joy. Thankfulness to God for his amazing grace is the path to joy. Look again at chapter 4, verse 2. You'll remember from last week that it's, it's calling us, commanding us to persist in prayer, being watchful in it. So watch and pray, these two things together. Looking at the coming end, with one eye on the clock. Remember the, the idea of, the, of you watch a TV bake show where you see the people who are, the contestants are contending to what they have at hand, the work they're doing, while also keeping an eye, the clock is ticking down. So with one eye on the clock, we are attending to what's going on around us, keenly aware that the end is coming. So that affects what we pray. With thanksgiving, it says. Which is not actually part of the prayer, it's, it's separate in the sentence. So it's getting at what our, our demeanor or our attitude is while we are attending to what's going on, praying. Clock in view. You watch the baking show again, you see them doing that. They're, they're working with the clock in view, and you'll also notice that often they're anxious about something or complaining about something. The recipe wasn't clear enough. They didn't tell us how to make the dough. Or, or it didn't rise. What am I going to do? So they're attending. They're aware of the clock, anxious, complaining, afraid. And what God's saying here is, not you. No. You, you attend to what's going on. You're, you're praying with an eye on the clock with thanksgiving. Godward thankfulness. 
It's expected, commanded, prayed for, as we said all through Colossians, we just saw. It's God's will for his people. Because what it is, it's, it's a feeling within that is then expressed back to God. It's a, it's a good feeling within. It's a feeling of rest within expressed back to God to his honor. Good for us, honoring to him. A feeling and then an expression that says to him, you, God, gave me this good. I didn't produce it myself. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve you to give it to me. It is a gift, generous and undeserved from your kind and wise and loving heart to me. Thank you. And it makes us aware, as we, as we give thanks, it makes us aware that I am freely, undeservedly blessed. And you are a free, generous, blesser, giver. And he calls us to that, wants us to live in that, seeing the whole picture of life. We're praying. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We're, we're praying, so presumably what that means is that some things aren't right. That we have some sort of a need, that something's come short, that there's, there's some additional need or desire, there's some pain that needs to be answered, there's, there's some gap that needs to be filled in, and so I'm, I'm praying and looking to God and saying, Lord, would you come, would you address this, would you, would you give me more, would you change something, would you actually return and bring an end to all of this? So we see very clearly what's needed and what's wrong, but we also see more. And the more is what actually controls us. That's what's supposed to control our vision throughout the Bible and throughout Colossians. Thankfulness in the middle of this need because we see more. Thankfulness, gratefulness, Thanksgiving, ultimately it is rooted in the mighty, loving grace of God that saves us. The mighty, loving grace of God that saves us, his people. Now, I, I say that, and I know that, and I know that you know that. We sang about it many times already this morning. So I didn't say anything novel there. But so often, on the path to joy, we, we trip right there over the first step. We stub our toe right there because he didn't actually look at it. it clearly, it's, the, it's first and foremost, it's primary. It's, it's, it's the beginning, Yes. We don't always see it, and it certainly doesn't always control our minds. But in Paul's mind and in God's mind, that's the beginning that we must be focused on and never let slip from our hands. Thankfulness because of the mighty, loving grace of God that saves us. 
Chapter 1, verse 11. Paul prays. What we have here in this larger context is an outline of what the, the Christian walk looks like. And he's got different phrases. He's, he's wanting these things, praying for these things for the Christians there. He prays that they be able to, to endure through life, patient with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Why? Because of the saving work that he himself has done for us in Christ. He qualified us for an inheritance. He did. He delivered us from Satan's dark realm and power. He, it says, it's all, it's all he, he, he. He transferred us then into Christ's kingdom. He placed us in Christ and in him gave us redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He saved us from sin and saved us to the presence of God, saved us into communion with God in whose presence there is fullness of joy at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. He did that for you, Christian. That is good news. For all of that, we are thankful if, if we get it and realize that this is what we needed and this we did not deserve and did not earn and did not in any way make possible, not even in any small part. It is all through. It is a, an all or nothing, an, an either or situation. I'm not half qualified to receive this inheritance and he fills in the rest graciously and kindly. No, I'm unqualified and then he qualifies me. I'm outside of Christ. You're outside of Christ. And then he puts you in. He did this. This is the gospel of God's grace to you. And it is the most important thing about you. Whatever else is true of you, and plenty of other things are true of you. Whatever else is true of you, it, it, is, it is filed beneath I am a redeemed one. I'm alive. I'm in Christ. I have communion with the God who made me and the God who is good. I am a Christian. I'm a saved one. I'm a beloved one. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, but this and all, 100% of it, completely because of Him. Amen. Thank you. To sit in that and to realize that to see it is the path to joy. So does it stir up in you? Just ask yourself, does it stir up in you? Thanksgiving, a thankful heart that says back to him, thank you, amen. Consistently towards God, thankful. Amazed at his saving grace in Christ. Ask yourself, as I talk about it now, does the Spirit of God stir that in you, you that you say, oh, yes, and amen. And if not so much, then perhaps it would help you to pay attention to your sin. Not to stop there, not to stop there, but to start there. An old saint once said, maybe you've heard this quote, maybe even from me, and I'll try to explain it as best I can. I'm not, I'm not a sailor, but 
He said, I keep my sin ever before me. It is the ballast in my boat. Ballast, as I understand it, is the weight in the bottom of the boat. Sometimes it's from a massive keel. Sometimes it's, it's added in just to make the bottom of the boat deep and heavy. It's the ballast in my boat that enables me to throw up tall masts hung with large sails to catch the fullness of God's grace to me. And I would add, so that I can run. You picture what happens if you put a tall mast on a rowboat. It tips over and you go nowhere. Picture what happens if you put a massive amount of ballast and no mast at all. You go nowhere. You may even sink. But he puts these two things together. It's the ballast. What's the ballast? My sin. I keep my sin ever before me, not so that I can look at my sin, but so that I can run. Because the ballast is what enables me to throw up. I must then throw up tall masts with massive sails to catch the abundance of the grace of God. And it drives me then. It drives me on. So I can run. You hear run in joy, in fruitfulness, in effectiveness to run in the Christian life. And where did it all start? Ballast. I keep my sin ever before me. It is ironically possible that the path to joy that leads back to thankfulness first starts with my sinfulness. Ironic, but true. And if you don't want to keep ballast in the boat, then you're going to be left with he who forgives, he who's been forgiven little loves little. I don't have a lot of ballast. I mean, I guess it was nice of you to do me a solid and overlook that one, Jesus, but, well, you're not going to run with that. You need tall masts and full sails to catch abundant grace, and that only works when you see, oh my goodness, I am a sinner who deserves nothing from you but wrath and to be left abandoned in my eternal loss and misery. But you made me, you made me an heir. Oh my goodness, made me an heir of an inheritance that is vast and wide and long and high and deep. You've transferred me into the very presence of the one who is light and have welcomed me to a table full of abundance and said, eat up my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I don't deserve any of that. I shouldn't have any of that. But I do because of him. And you run in joy with that thankful. You can live in thanksgiving, watching the clock ticking down, realizing that for me it's ticking down to Christmas morning and not to Judgment Day because I'm in Christ because of God. Give thanks for that and rejoice. Start there. That is first, foremost, fundamental, the bottom, elementary. That's where thanksgiving starts with a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, you can be. Come to him and find joy. Start there. However, I have to say that as much as that is fundamental, the first step in the path, the beginning, 
Actually, for me, more recently, this next piece has been a little more, got a little more traction for me, if, it's, if that's possible. It has been for me recently. So you consider the abundant saving grace of God, and that's what, what is at the, at the root of thankfulness in the Christian. But then also we should also, also, not or, also look at God's abundant common grace. And that's, as I said, it's got a little more traction in my life recently. So consider this. Just, just think about this. We were born. Stop there. We were born. And our bodies worked and developed. We have food for nourishment and taste buds to enjoy it. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. Really. And we have eyes that can detect color. And there are leaves of different colors. And they fall gently in the crisp autumn air, and you can watch them fall. And my backyard green grass has a, has a carpet of yellow leaves covering it right now. And as they float down one by one, it's just awesome. And you can rake them up and capture the scent of them all piled up and crunching beneath laughing children. Seasons, autumn, awesome. And then seasons give way to seasons and some of us will soon be reveling in fresh powder while others who don't ski look forward to heading south somewhere to sit and put your feet into hot sand and get a tan and look at the pristine water. Or you look forward to the spring gardening that's coming. The creation is very good. Amazing. It is a good and beautiful and wise and brilliant display of a master's kind and loving and gracious power. We live surrounded by amazing grace. Surrounded by amazing grace. If we have eyes to see it, there's so much to be thankful for. And that is equally true whether you're a wealthy American living in this country or living in a Central African refugee camp. And I say that because sometimes around this time of year, we, we sometimes say, I have so much to be thankful for here in America, which is true. But we have so much to be thankful for in the world, wherever we live, which is true, especially if we move thankfulness beyond luxury cars and smartphones and down to the plethora of common grace beauties that we take for granted. Leaves and flowers don't need to be or have a scent that humans can detect, but they do. And I had muscles to get me to the spot where I could detect it and a mind that could process it. 
And as you take that in and you see, I don't deserve any of this. What, what, what do I deserve of any of this? What do I have that I did not receive as a gift from a God who overlooked the fact that I didn't deserve it at all? But he poured it out and poured it out. And tomorrow prepares another cup to pour it out on all of us in common, all of us alike. This is a God who is wise and full of power and kindness and is a genius and is so gracious. He's a God who is glorious and he gave all this to me and to you. This is thankfulness for leaves and, and joy in the scent of leaves and that's thankfulness, thanksgiving towards a gracious God who gives all of that to me who didn't deserve any of it. It's all here, and we have to sit in that. And really, I'm emphasizing that it did not deserve any of this because so often, watch this, check this against yourself. This is true for me, and I think it's true for all of us. So often, joy is robbed when thankfulness is robbed because I'm not thankful for it. I took it for granted or was sure I deserved it. When you begin to think that is deserved, you begin to think that should be. It's right for it to be. And so when you get it, you're not that thankful. I'm, I'm not thankful for what should be. I'm irritated when it isn't. And the fact that I'm irritated and not thankful probably shows me that I'm approaching a whole bunch in life as if it should be. It shouldn't. I stand here and draw breath by grace, not because it should be, but because God graciously gave me yet another one, yet another one, yet another one. Do you walk around feeling low-grade, ripped off, and slighted? Ask another way. Do you walk around kind of constantly suspicious and complaining? Do you walk around kind of correcting everybody for doing it all wrong? Probably you think you deserve. Probably. Maybe I don't understand you. Maybe there's something else going on, but think about that. And God calls us to thankfulness, to thanksgiving. It's kind of an alert to this, this tendency in us. I should get. No, you shouldn't. You should say thank you. Because you shouldn't have gotten any of it. You shouldn't have gotten leaves that are beautiful and scents that are, that are attractive. You shouldn't have had eyes that see. You shouldn't have. You, shouldn't. you don't deserve anything. But I give it. I give it. I give it. I give it. Thanksgiving alerts us to that and shows us all of the ways that we are, are remarkably, deeply, all, often unconsciously recipients of blessing. How fortunate and privileged we are. And what it has, the effect it's had on me recently, as I said, the traction of my heart, is that it's been quieting and humbling, and it produces joy. My iPhone's busted. 
Ah, who cares? Didn't deserve it anyway. And there are leaves. <laughs> and I know it doesn't answer the problem of all the emails that I lost or whatever. The money I'm going to have to spend. I didn't deserve anything. I don't. The fact that there are leaves. Give thanks for that. And let me encourage you, the command is often give thanks because the, the idea is stop and do this. Because it makes you think about all these things. Thank you for leaves. And if you give this, all of this, if you give all of this, that is temporary and passing away, what must the inheritance be like that he has planned and prepared for us? Those that he, whom he has qualified to receive it. What must that be like? If this fixed is awaiting us. And as we begin to think towards the future and, and towards what must be or what might be, that's what's going to take us to the second point. Second thing to consider about thankfulness and why it's good and right for us. Thoughtful thankfulness has a peculiar power to produce joy even amidst pain. I'm going to say that again because it's complicated. Thoughtful thankfulness has a peculiar power to produce joy even amidst pain. And using the word peculiar, I'm alerting us all to the something that right, there's something that's odd here. It may at first even seem wrong. If you write a sentence that uses the words thankful, joy, and amidst pain, it's going to raise some questions. It seems a little bit off. But I think there's something really important and really helpful for us here in our aiming at joy. Especially given that pain and I mean that very broadly, pain of, of all sorts, physical and mental and emotional pain, is a very large threat to joy. And it is extremely common. Put another way, you, you could have been, or you could right now be saying something like, yeah, okay, I'm listening to the first half of that sermon, I, I get all that, I track with all that. And yeah, I can give thanks and rejoice when things are going well and when I'm experiencing forgiveness and blessing and grace. But, there's a but, right? But, when I'm not, when my child jumps in the leaves and breaks his arm or his neck, when the skier gets caught in the avalanche, or the vacationer gets robbed, or any number of the other things that are common to humanity happen to humanity, to me. When my loved one dies, and I'm about to, didn't you start talking about that at the beginning? That's, that's reality. So when that happens, how do you aim at joy and walk in thankfulness then? You can't. 
And in fact, that exposes this whole thing here to be just a big charade. It, a, it was really our fear kind of behind it all, wasn't it? That, that all this talk about the grace of God and being thankful in it is like dancing on the deck of the Titanic as the, the band plays on beautifully, but the ship's taken on water. Because we're going to die, all of us. It's a charade, isn't it? Thankfully, no. Let's look again at Colossians 3.15. We looked at this passage. If you want to go look at the whole sermon again, it's online. But when we dealt with it before, we observed, this is Colossians 3.15, that the peace of Christ that's mentioned there is not something emotional inside the Christian, like some inner calm. The peace of Christ is, is rather like what's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 20, when it talks about peace. It's external. It's creation-wide peace. It's the powerful work of God, to, to summarize it all, that has brought in Christ, has brought all of the renegade creation to heal under the authority of its rightful king, who at the moment is enthroned and reigning. Reigning. Extending his reign wherever and however he chooses. It all answers to him. And so from his viewpoint, from his perspective, it's all at peace because it's all beneath him and all doing what he says. There is no struggle. Like some, is evil going to win or is Jesus going to win? Is evil going to win? Who's going to win today? It's all like this. Jesus reigns. And so the world is beneath him. In that sense, there is, a, there is peace. Let that truth then rule in your hearts, church. That's what 315 says. That's, that's the point. Christ, peace. Let that rule in your hearts, next phrase, and be thankful. Notice how it's right after that. So to put it very visually, make this clear, imagine it like this. Church, press this image into your mind. Let this rule your inner thought life. Control what's going on inside of you. Christ, seated on his throne, foot propped up. I don't know if you can see this. Foot propped up. On the back of the neck of every threat that threatens his church. You. Every threat that threatens you is face down, prone before the throne, and Jesus has his foot on the back of the neck of every threat. The threat's not dead yet. It's still alive. It still, it still can act, but it's beneath the foot of Jesus as he sits on his throne. Let that rule in here. Let that truth rule in there. That vicious persecutor of the church, whoever it may be, King Jesus has his foot on that person. And the cancer that threatens your life and makes your body ache. And the car accident that killed your loved one. And the drought that kills the food crops. And the bankruptcy, the unemployment that kills your income. Every threat. Every threat that threatens his people. 
as I say that, I, I, can, I can see it. I can, I can feel it. Maybe held back behind wet eyes. Do you have any idea what you are talking about? The car accident that killed my loved one. Do you have any idea? No. I don't. I have, I have my sets of threats and sets of hardships and sorrows, and each of us, we all have our own. I, I don't know. But what I want to point out is that I didn't write this nor the other things I'm about to say and the verses I'm about to reference here. I didn't write them either. God did. And God knows. And of all people, Jesus knows. Jesus, the book of Hebrews tells us, walked the earth as a man so as to directly identify with us in all of our hurts and sorrows, so closely so that he even says that when the church is hurt, he is hurt. And he wants to press into us and cause us to live in every threat that threatens his people, every person and every entity or organization and every illness and disease and accident, every act of God. All of them are actually acting in accordance with God. All of them beneath the foot of the one who reigns. Nothing is outside of his realm of authority. Nothing he is not actively using to build his kingdom just exactly like he wants it to for you. So let this truth rule in your hearts, church, and be thankful. Because this means that all things, all things are being worked together by him for the good of you, his people. He wrote that in Romans. What this means is that this light and momentary affliction what? Again, he wrote that. We'll talk about it in a second here. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you hear the word preparing there? That's right out of the Bible. That's 2 Corinthians 4.17. Preparing means no accident. No coincidence. It's under King Jesus' foot, this affliction. And he's using it to prepare something for you. He's concocted somehow a recipe. It is confusing, but it's, it's producing some sort of good, some sort of baked product will come out of this at the other end. After, most of the time, after the clock reaches zero, and the horn sounds, it's going to be brought out, and we're going to say, wow, glorious. It's preparing something for us. Something eternity long and weighty and meaningful and good and heavy and beautiful. It's preparing for us glory. Now, what exactly is that? I don't know. Again, I don't know. I can, I can discern some from 1 Peter chapter 2 that he's concerned about our faith. He's concerned about our, our holding tight to him and that, that, will, that genuine faith will result in praise and glory and honor being delivered unto us at the end but I don't know exactly all the details. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. 
But this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The sentence finishes, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, momentary. That's how the presence of is light and momentary. It's passing. It's passing. We look not to the things that are seen. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal, and you will have them forever and ever and ever. And the God who is good has said to us, I'm concerned about your eternal glory, not just your temporary glory. I am concerned about that too. Look around, see the common grace here showered on you. See the present benefits of the saving grace that you have even right now. But realize what that tells you, what that should tell you about me is that I'm good and that I'm trustworthy. And so when I tell you in my book, in, in, written by me, when I tell you that, that the hard stuff happening right now is actually producing something for you in the future, you should trust me because I've got a track record. That's how we're supposed to take and, and, and process the good things that we have now. It's a reference. It's a track record. This is a God who is good and a God who is generous and a God who is a blesser and a God who is kind, a God who is a God of love. I'll trust him. Every threat that threatens you meant as destruction by someone else or some other, some other thing is meant by him for good. Let that truth rule in your mind and be thankful. This is hard, I understand. But you must know it because the tears and the pain are very real. You're sure of that. How do you believe him? You look, at, you look around at, at the, the reference that he's provided for himself already. Ultimately, you say, the, the cross was occupied and the tomb no longer is for me. There it is. I don't deserve that. Your creature, fallen, sinful. You deserve other than the abundant grace that he's poured out on you. To sit in the middle of that now, to process it, to even enumerate this and this and this and this and this. Oh, so much to be thankful for. May then God, by his Spirit, take that and press into you. That's not just about the stuff. That's a reference about me. And thoughtfully being thankful about that will give you a great power to rejoice even amidst the sorrow right now. You've you got to work it through. You've got to be thoughtful. You can't just be flippant. You've got to be thoughtful. This God is good and so I believe him amidst the pain, there is great reason to be rejoicing. There is great power in this to produce for you joy right now, no matter what. Which is not to call evil good, 
by no means. It's to say that evil doesn't get the last say. For sure. So watch the clock and pray with thanksgiving, no matter what's happening. Whether the leaves are gently falling and covering your lawn in beauty, or whether you're walking through a season of pain. You have every reason to rejoice, even amidst the sorrow, thoughtfully giving thanks in all things. This is God's will for us in Christ. There's peculiar power there to keep you safe from the fear that the pain will destroy you. It won't, it can't. You're in Christ. Glory is coming. Give thanks and rejoice. Let me pray. Lord, there could easily be a lot in this, particularly the last part of this, that's hard to process. So I pray that you would draw near to your particular individual people here. Not just us as a body, but individuals drawn near to us and sort out our hearts. Point out your goodness. Keep us eyes fastened tight on the empty tomb and to realize you are a God who is good and good for us. Do your work in us, Lord. Grow in us thankfulness towards joy because you are and you are ours. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.